You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a set of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Cosmic New Year, Thoughts for New Year 1920. It is uh, volume 195 in the Collected Works. Lecture 2, given in Stuttgart, December 25th, 1919. When in the last few years I spoke at a seasonal festival, Christmas, Easter, or Whitsun, I had to point out that, especially on such occasions, we have no right at the present time to celebrate such festivals in the usual way. We cannot forget, so to speak, all the pain and suffering of today, and on such days only remember the greatest things that have played a part in the human development. Especially because of our spiritual point of view of the world, we have the duty to allow all the manifestations of the decline taking hold of humanity in today's culture. We must allow all this to stream in, even right up to the Christmas tree. Today we truly have the duty to take up the birth of Christ Jesus into our hearts and souls in a way that does not ignore the frightful decline that has taken hold of the so-called cultured people. For particularly on this day it is up to us to bring up the question, has even the thought of Christmas been subjected to the universal forces of decline? Do we still feel when we speak about Christmas today what human beings should feel when they direct their thoughts and feelings to this festival of Christ? Does humanity in general have a feeling for the real purpose of the part played by the whole mystery of Golgotha in human development? Today we light up our Christmas trees, we speak in old customary phrases and words about the things connected with the Christmas festival. But all too often we avoid fully awakening our consciousness to the necessity of saying, A decline is at hand. Where are you, power of Christ, to really help us so that we can bring about a new uprising? For that much should have become clear to you from our discussions over recent decades concerning the spiritual view of the world, that only with the help of the power of Christ will it be possible to imbue decadent culture with the impulse that will enable it to rise up once again. In these days, one must often think of people who in the middle and last third of the nineteenth century, despite a certain materialistic frame of mind, certainly spoke with more honesty than the majority do today. Today I want to remind you of a rather materialistically minded personality, the Swabian David Friedrich Strauss. As you know, titled The Old and the New Faith, by David Friedrich Strauss, is in a certain way a Bible of materialism. Among the questions he poses in this book is, can we still be Christians? David Friedrich Strauss gives an answer which has the peculiar characteristic of being born out of an ur-materialistic mindset, but is honest at the same time. Strauss develops the idea of a world structure that is only built up out of material physical laws where the human being also contains nothing besides physical laws. And from this conviction he answers the question of whether we can still be Christians with an honest no. 
The people who represent this natural scientific view of the world, as David Friedrich Strauss does, out of the consciousness of this age, cannot be Christians. Thus, out of the no of David Friedrich Strauss, there speaks a fatal but altogether honest state of mind, and today one sometimes has the feeling that if only the so-called official representatives of this or the other religious creed could be as honest as David Friedrich Strauss, if only they could realize that even though they use the name of Christ, fundamentally they are working against Christianity. Nowadays we may not conveniently close our eyes to the most essential and important developments of the time. Some may not think it to be in the spirit of Christmas, I do think it is, if I mention an experience I had in connection with a spiritual investigation of something immediate and actual at this present time. You know those people, particularly in Central Europe, who are largely to blame, as much as people may be blamed for such things, for the dreadful circumstances we experience today, World War I. What did they do after Europe was struck by disaster? They write books. And so we have books about the greatest variety of people. We have a Tirpitz book, we have a Ludendorff book, and I could still name several others, but I restrict myself to these two. You see, with the help of spiritual knowledge, one can do the following experiment. We can, entirely within the sense of a spiritual scientific outlook, put the question to ourselves. What form of thinking is expressed in the books of Tirpitz, Ludendorff, and their like? I have tried to examine this question from all sides in a conscientious way, and have asked myself, what kind of thought forms do these men have on whom depends so much of the destiny of Europe? But if we do not proceed in an abstract way, but penetrate concretely into such things, then we must make comparisons, and so I ask myself, when, perhaps, were such thought forms cultivated in the normal course of European development, such as Tirpitz and Ludendorff are now doing? And, after a conscientious examination of the facts, it turns out that at about the time of the Roman Caesar people thought in this way. Basically, there is no difference between the way Julius Caesar thought and lived in his soul, let us say in his Gallic Wars, and the way Tirpitz and Ludendorff now formulate their thoughts. But that means that these people have a thought life that is completely untouched by Christendom, for Julius Caesar lived before the mystery of Golgotha took place. <clears throat> and all that these people say, when from time to time the name of Christ Jesus crosses their lips, is nothing but a vain lie because their soul life has developed in such a way that they have nothing to do with actual Christendom. From many considerations, we of course know that when something develops at the right time, then fundamentally it is good for humanity. It is something else if it remains stuck and then appears later on. When that is the case, such as when what was appropriate at Caesar's time still plays a role in the twentieth century, then it becomes something luciferic. For if something remains active that really belonged to another time, it becomes luciferic. That indeed is the essence of what is luciferic. And now we ask once more, how can it come about that those personalities that destiny has raised up to take on positions of leadership have remained behind in this way? If we want to answer this question, we must observe those who pretend to penetrate their spiritual life with the Christ impulse but who actually work in an anti-Christian sense, 
we must direct our attention to many official representatives of religious denominations who supposedly quote from the Gospels but who oppose everything that really wants to be said about the living Christ in our time. The most anti-Christian people are today frequently found among the priests, the preachers of the so-called Christian denominations. Whoever investigates this kind of thing among all the publications, such as the book by Adolf Harnack titled Das Wesen des Christentums, The Nature of Christianity, considered by many to establish the tone in these matters, will receive the answer to such a question. If in this book one crosses out the name of Christ and replaces it with the name of some general, unknown God who rules and weaves through nature just as he does in the life of the human being, if one crosses out the name of Christ and puts in its place the Old Testament name of Yahweh, then the book becomes more true than it now is, because only then does it make sense. The fact is evident that Harnack knows nothing of the real being of Christ, that he venerates a general indeterminate God and then attaches the name of Christ to it. And who is this Adolf Harnack? He is the theologian who set the tone for the spiritual direction out of which sprang up the likes of Tirpitz and Ludendorff. Because no real revelation of Christ came any more from the representatives of the denominations, there is no perception of the real Christ revelation by the people who are connected with current events. <clears throat> when they speak of the Christmas festival, it has no meaning whatever for the thousands and millions of people of today, for they do not know the being of Christ Jesus in the way one needs to know him in our present time. We must look at such things if we want to become clear, in a deeper sense, about the reasons for the downward trend in what is happening today and in human life under these circumstances. I have often spoken to you here about that important event that took place in the last third of the nineteenth century through which a special relationship was established between what we call the archangelic power of Michael and the destiny of humankind. I have drawn your attention to the fact that since November of 1879, Michael must be the regent, so to speak, for all those who want to bring to humanity the right powers for its healthy progress. In our time, when we say something like this, we point out two things, an objective fact and how that objective fact is related to all that human beings want to engage in their will and in their consciousness. The objective fact is simply that in November 1879, beyond the sphere of the physical world, in the supersensible, the following took place. Michael won the power for himself, that when human beings come toward him with all their lives, in their souls, he can so penetrate them with his strength, that they can transform the old materialistic power of comprehension, which until then had become so great in humanity, into a spiritual power of comprehension, that is the objective fact it has taken place. We can say of it, Michael has entered into a different relationship with humanity since November 1879 than he had previously. But it is necessary that we serve Michael. What I mean by that will be best clarified if I explain the following. You know that before the mystery of Golgotha took place on the earth, the Hebrews of the Old Testament looked up to their Yahweh or Jehovah, those of the Hebrew priests who perceived Yahweh with full consciousness knew that they could not approach Yahweh directly with human knowledge. 
Even the name was considered unpronounceable, and when it had to be spoken of, only a sign was made that is similar to certain sign relationships we search for in Eurythmy. But it was clear to these priests that the human being could approach Yahweh through Michael. They called Michael the countenance of Yahweh. Just as we come to know human beings when we look into their visage, when we reach a conclusion from the mildness of their visage about the mildness of their soul and about their character from the way they look at us, in the same way the Old Testament priests wanted to reach conclusions about Yahweh, whom it was not possible for humanity to reach, based on what crept into their soul as atavistic clairvoyant visions of the visages of Yahweh and Michael in their dreams. These priests had the correct attitude toward Michael and Yahweh, they had the right attitude to Michael because they knew that when the human beings of that time turned to Michael, they would find the strength of Yahweh through Michael, which was fitting for the human being of that time to seek. Since then, others, excuse me, since then other rulers of the soul of humanity have stood in the place of Michael. But since November of 1879, Michael has appeared once again and can be made active in the life of the human soul if one seeks the way to him. And today these ways are the ways of spiritual scientific knowledge. One could equally well say the Michael ways as the ways of spiritual scientific knowledge. But just since that time when Michael entered into a relationship with human souls in this way, to once again become their direct inspirer through three centuries, the demonic counterforces have also set to work most powerfully, having previously prepared themselves. So a call went out through the world that now passes through the hearts and minds of the people, which during our so-called war years, actually years of terror, has become a great misapprehension in the world. What then would have become of the Hebrew people of the Old Testament if they wanted to approach Yahweh directly, instead of coming close to him through Michael? They would have become intolerant and egotistical as a people, a people only able to think of themselves. For Yahweh is the God connected to everything natural and who expresses his being in the connection between the generations of the people and in their character as a people. Only, beca only because at that time the old Hebrew people wanted to approach Yahweh through Michael did they save themselves from becoming so egotistical that not even Christ Jesus could have come forth out of their midst. Because they penetrated themselves with the strength of Michael, as that strength then was, the Hebrew people thereby did not impregnate themselves with forces producing such a strong folk egoism as would have resulted from a direct approach to Yahweh. Now today Michael is the world regent once again but humanity is required to relate to him in a new way, because now Michael is not the countenance of Yahweh, but the countenance of Christ Jesus. Now we should approach Christ through Michael, but for the most part humanity has not yet struggled through to that realization. Humanity has atavistically preserved the old qualities of perception through which one approached Michael when he was still the mediator for Yahweh. And so today humanity still has a a wrong relationship to Michael, which shows itself in a characteristic way. Again and again during the war years, one heard the great falsehood, independence for each and even the very smallest nation. This sentiment is a false one, 
because in this time of Michael it is human individuals, not groups of people, that are important. This falsehood is nothing but an effort to penetrate every single group of people with the pre-Christian Michael strength of the Old Testament. As paradoxical as it may sound, there exists today among so-called civilized humanity the tendency to transform luciferically what was justified in the Hebrews of the Old Testament into the innermost impulse of every group of people. Today, with a pre-Christian state of mind, one wants to create Polish nations, American nations, French nations, and so forth. We strive to follow Michael in the way that was appropriate before the mystery of Golgotha, when through him one should find Yahweh, a God of the people. Today, through him, we should find Christ Jesus, the divine leader of all humankind. We must find feelings and ideas that have nothing to do with any human differences on the earth. But these we cannot seek on the surface. We must seek them where the human soul and spirit is pulsating by way of spiritual science. We must decide to seek the real Christ by way of spiritual science, in other words, in a Michaelic way. The Christ who can only be sought and found on the basis of a spiritual striving for the truth. Otherwise, we should rather put out all the Christmas lights, kill all the Christmas trees, and at least honestly admit to ourselves that we do not want to have any recollection of what Christ Jesus brought into the development of humankind. And so there resounds to us, out of the memoirs of people of today, a pre-Christian, which in our time means anti-Christian, state of mind. When people we consider as representative make themselves heard, such as Wilson, then in those fourteen points he gave resounds an entirely Old Testament state of mind, which in our time becomes a Luciferic state of mind. Where does this come from? What is going on here? If we go back in time to the development of humanity, before the mystery of Golgotha, in ancient times when Eastern culture was developing, we find on the earth a human personality within the culture that later became the Chinese culture of today. This personality was the human incarnation of Lucifer, who at that time really walked upon the earth, and it was the bearer of the human light that was the basis of pre-Christian wisdom, except that of the Hebrew people. What emanated from the Lucifer incarnation thousands of years before the mystery of Golgotha still streamed through what lived in the Greek civilization, in the arts, in their view of the world, and in statesmanship. We must in particular be clear about the fact that everything we today call human understanding is still a gift of that Lucifer, so long as we have not spiritualized it. Only we must not develop the pedantic, bourgeois, sectarian attitude. Luciferic, that is something dreadful, that must be stripped away. If one wants to strip it away, one takes it in all the more, because over thousands of years of human development, it has become necessary to accept the heritage of the incarnated Lucifer. Then came the mystery of Golgotha. But then a time will come when, just as Lucifer once incarnated in the East as an earthly personality, in order to prepare the coming of Christianity, the real Araman will likewise appear in the West in an earthly incarnation. We are approaching that time when Araman will actually wander over the earth, 
As truly as Lucifer and Christ actually wandered about as human beings, so Ahriman will wander over the earth with an intellectual faculty of tremendous power. We human beings do not have the task to prevent the incarnation of Ahriman, but we do have the task of preparing humanity in such a way that a right assessment of Ahriman will be made. For Ahriman will have tasks and will have to do one thing and another, but human beings will have to assess and utilize in the right way what comes into the world through Araman. Humanity will only be able to do this if we can today orient ourselves in the right way to what Araman is already sending to the earth from other worlds in order to be able to operate on the earth without being noticed. Araman must not operate on the earth without being noticed. We must fully recognize his peculiar nature and be able to face up to him in full consciousness. Now while, I was, now, while I am lecturing here in Stuttgart, I will show you some of the things that must be carefully watched in the development of humanity until the incarnation of Araman, so that when he comes he will be properly evaluated. Today I would, like, I would only like to draw your attention to one thing in relation to Araman, just as bad as the worst materialistic view of the world are some of the current interpretations of the Gospels. When today the Gospels are simply taken as they are by the representatives of the so-called religious communities, and when every new revelation is rejected, then such a devotion to the Gospels, such a way to practice Christianity, signifies the best way to prepare oneself in an Aramanic sense for the earthly appearance of Araman. A great number of representatives of the so-called confessions of today are paving the way for Araman in that they disregard the truth. Quote, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Unquote. In that they declare all that comes forth out of a direct perception of the contemporary Christ to be heretical. In that they conveniently hold on to the Gospels in a literal way, but literal only according to them. There should be a wisdom to protect people from holding on to the Gospels in this way, since in a purely external way the four Gospels contradict one another when approached only through our intelligence. <clears throat> Whoever today does not advance to a spiritual interpretation of the Gospels spreads a mendacious interpretation of them because he deludes people about the external contradictions that exist in the Gospels and to delude people about their most important concerns is just what best advances the aims of Araman. It is very necessary for people of the present time to place Christ in between Araman and Lucifer. The strength of Christ must penetrate us. But as human beings, we must always seek the balance between what would, so to speak, draw us up in an extravagant, mystical way, and what wants to drag us down to the earth in a materialistic, intellectual, and heavy, pedantic way. At every moment we must seek the balance between what would uplift us luciferically and what would make us want to strive downward in an Aramonic way. In the search for this balance lies the Christ. And only when we strive to find this balance can we find the Christ. Due to an unusual circumstance, something very remarkable happened in humanity's more recent development, in the time when materialism was entering in. I will only refer to two documents, Milton's title Paradise Lost and Klopstock's Title Messiah. There the spiritual worlds are described as if a paradise had been lost and the human being had been thrown out of it, 
Both Milton's Paradise Lost and Klopstock's Messiah deal with a duality in the world, with the contrast of good and evil, the divine and the diabolical. But you see, that is the great error of recent times, that one pictures the culture of the world as a duality, while it must be pictured as a trinity. There are the upward-striving Luciferic forces, living in the human blood, that both approach the human being in what is mystical, extravagant, and full of fantasy, and degenerate into the fantastical. Then there are the aramonic forces that live in everything that is dried up and heavy, physiologically speaking, in the bony system, and in the middle, between the two, stands the Christian element. The first is luciferic, the second aramonic, and in the middle between the two is what is Christian. What has happened in recent times? Something that humanity should observe with truly spiritual intellectual fervor, because if we do not understand this, we will not find our way to Christmas in the right way. How do we read Milton and Klopstock and their descriptions of the supersensible world today? We read them in such a way that luciferic characteristics are carried over into everything we want to call divine. Such men as Milton and Klopstock want to describe the battle between the luciferic, which to them appears as the divine, and the aramonic. And a great part of what present-day humanity describes as divine is merely luciferic. But we do not rightly recognize it, just as little as we do the aramonic. This still plays into Goethe's Faust when we find the quote-unquote Lord confronted by Mephistopheles. For even Goethe could still not separate the aramonic from the luciferic. Thus his Mephistopheles became an intermingling of Lucifer and Aramon. I have already referred to this in my booklet titled Goethe's Spiritual Nature. Today one is a Goetheanist in the true sense, not if, as some academics and others of the present day do, one simply quotes Goethe verbatim, but when one also sees what had to change in Goethe, particularly when one follows his view of the world beyond the year 1832. But the way must be found to quietly admit to ourselves that much of the Luciferic element was contained in what was called the divine during the materialistic centuries and that we can take much of what people used to spread as religion as merely words that enter humanity on luciferic wings. Only then, when people will again recognize the duality of the luciferic, which wants to lead them upwards, and the aramonic that wants to lead them below themselves, and come to recognize what is truly Christian, will people once again stand before the Christmas event in its true meaning. Through the true meaning of Christmas, we can remember how what actually gives real meaning to the earth entered into the development of humanity. Today one should sometimes think of Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo once painted his great picture, The Last Supper, with Christ surrounded by his apostles. He painted a long time on this picture, twenty years. He wanted to paint a great deal into this picture. He could not finish because he tried again and again to paint the figure of Judas in the right way. Now, according to the city government of Milan, the abbot of the monastery for which the picture was being painted was his immediate superior. When a new abbot was named, he was not as easygoing as the old one, but critical, giving Leonardo a hard time and demanding of him that the picture should now be finally completed. Leonardo replied that now he could indeed finish it, for the new abbot had provided him with a model for Judas. Then he shortly painted the face of Judas that we see in the picture. 
Just as the way the face of Judas appeared to Leonardo at the beginning of a new time in our history, so today we already have ample reason to really inscribe into our hearts and souls how he whose birth we are commemorating at this holy festival of Christmas is betrayed most of all by many of those who declare that they prepare his feasts based on their convictions. We know that this Christmas festival also belongs to what later arose out of the development of Christianity. It was only in the 3rd and 4th centuries that people began to celebrate the birth of Christ in these December days. Some centuries had already elapsed since the event of Golgotha, when the perception of that event allowed something new to arise, even as radically new as the institution of the Christmas festival at that time. And much, much later, it was still possible to plant new things into Christianity. Also, then, one had to fight against many of those who called themselves true Christians. But today there are many people at work who don't want to be found wrong, as their own convictions were found to be wrong when the Christmas festival was instituted in the 3rd and 4th centuries, who rigidly cling only to what they say is written, rejecting every life-containing revelation. Today it is quite dreadful what those who are half asleep, who with their immoral attitude often besmirch what wants to enter into the spiritual life. But most dreadful are those who out of conviction betray even the actual spirit of Christian development. That is the serious mood into which the lights of the Christmas tree want to transport us today. I wanted to point out these things today, but it is out of a different context that I will speak to you the next time. The end of Lecture 2